It's Memorial Day weekend, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run, or maybe you're doing some chores or you're in traffic, whatever the case We'll be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Blue Apron, Mac Weldon and Squarespace. Squarespace. They bring the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who joins me on this Memorial Day in honoring all of the American servicemen and women past and present who serve and have served our country with honor, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I'm also suiting up for Game 7. The Rockets called me. My hamstrings are in good order. I'm, I'm ready to go. So look for me on the court uh, tomorrow. Yeah, that's all they need is someone with good hamstrings at this point. Five uh, <laughs> eleven no, with good hamstrings, you're in. <laughs> uh, our our, uh, who knew that our bet would be so uh, sizzling hot over three whole episodes? <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, we have as you as listeners know, we have made a friendly wager over our favorite basketball teams meeting in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, $100 to the uh, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Yes. Uh, and you can find links to that on the top of my Twitter and on my webpage, my webpage, my webpage, my website, christianspicer.com. Yeah, I was going to say the charity that you have been raising money for, um, but we are we are using this moment to bolster that one of us will have to pay an extra hundred bucks and then also say uh, a humiliating thing on the next episode. And now it's down to game seven to, well, uh, maybe as you're listening to this tonight, uh, Monday night, uh, pretty exciting stuff, man. I'm excited. You care to, you want to double down? I think your team has shown a lot of, uh, a lot of grit. If we had Chris Paul, I would double down without Chris Paul. I'm nervous, but I also have my excuse ready to go. So, you know, I kind of already won. <laughs> That's good. And you are also not at home right now. People may be noticing a little uh, more echo in your voice than normal. You are uh, vacationing with the family, right? Yes, we are in Indian Wells, Palm Springs area, in a gorgeous house uh, with a pool and just living that good life of people who have better lives than me. (laughs) So, yes, I apologize if there's some echo. It's a bigger house than I'm normally in. (laughs) This is an exciting week. We got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, a lot of games to talk about. I played through Detroit Become Human. We've got some interesting news leading up to E3. I think there may be a certain train making an appearance on the show uh, and we have an awesome guest to do it with you know dlc always stands for your downloadable canada and your downloadable christian but this week oh man i'm excited because dlc stands for deal like a contractor because from the 1099 podcast as well as numerous gaming outlets we are pleased to welcome josiah renat into the show hey josiah Hey, that was an incredible introduction. Like, I really had no idea what C you were going to use there. I was really excited. My middle name is Corey. And if you would have pulled that out and uh, known that my middle name was Corey, I would have been even more impressed. But yeah, thanks for having me on. This is my third podcast in 24 hours. So it's either going to be like the, oh, I'm tired one, or it's going to be the LeBron game seven. I'm all in this. Let's go. I'm not warmed up. I, I believe in you. I believe you are the LeBron of, oh, of the show. That. 
<laughs> um, uh, I'm a big fan of your podcast, 1099. I was on it, and uh, I also listen to it. I think it's uh, it's it's great. So I'm very pleased to have you stopping by our podcast. Thanks so much. I'm a fan of your podcast too. Means a lot, and can't wait. Awesome. All right, let's dive in and start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's over at uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Before I toss it, as I customarily do to our guest, uh, I will say one story we won't really be talking about as a story of the week, but it is one I want to mention because it is uh, is really quite sad. Um Friend of the show and uh, guest of the show and, and friend of mine, uh, Total Biscuit, John Bain, uh, sadly passed away this week uh, to cancer. He, of course, had been fighting cancer for many years and uh, his struggle was he made it very public and very uh, he was very honest about it. I thought that was a pretty brave thing to do and I think a revealing one for people that have family members that have gone through similar things. Uh, I was really shaken by the loss uh, of Total Biscuit. He's a guy who always spoke his mind and said controversial things and people disagreed with a lot of stuff he said. I disagreed with him from time to time, but he was always extremely kind and generous to me. And uh, he leaves behind, uh, a, I think, a legacy of of really um, strong and powerful work and uh, a bunch of fans that will miss him dearly. It's a, it's a very, very sad thing to see him go. So just wanted to say that at the top, we, uh, we will miss TB. Uh, and we were so, so glad to have had him on our show at least one time. I, I looked over my uh, direct messages and uh, I saw that we had corresponded. He had invited me back on his show and I like, like one does said, Oh, I can't do it, but I'm, I'm hoping to do it soon. And uh, of course this, the soon never happened because um, life happens. So it's very sad. Anyway, I don't mean to bring the show down at the beginning, but I wanted to mention that. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are, are familiar with his work. And if you aren't, you should check him out. Uh, pretty good guy. All right. Um, Josiah. Yes. What is your story of the week? Oh, man. My story of the week. You know, I Battlefield 5 has been a topic for quite a while, maybe some for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons. And uh, I mean, it just got announced recently. And there was that event where there, there was the reveal of the trailer, the gameplay and everything involved with it. And uh, there's a lot of different things we can run down with what they're changing. But something I wanted to bring up with it and something I wanted to ask you to um, is very much about the the lack of a battle royale mode for Battlefield 5. And the reason I bring that up is because it always felt like Battlefield was a game that was kind of yearning for something like a battle royale mode, this large map, this slow methodical gameplay where you might build up and find the perfect opportunity to, to pounce on someone. And it, we're still waiting for the AAA game to do that. Call of Duty is coming out this year to do that. But the one thing that I think for me, the story about Battlefield 5 that I'm fascinated by is will it be a good choice to not follow that trend and go the traditional route? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, right? It feels like battle royale modes are now almost a, a required bullet point uh, instead of this, this novel thing. And that happened pretty fast. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I kind of agree with uh, ETH Demon here in the, in the chat. He said, safe bet, it will be there, just hasn't been revealed yet. Do you think that it's just a yet for Battlefield Five? 
I actually, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it is going to be revealed. They're holding that for E3 or they're holding that for a later event. But to me, I feel like you would say that earlier and I could be entirely wrong here. I think there is the fear that by the time this comes out, is it already a saturated market? Is it already going to be that is Fortnite's domain and you you don't step on it? No one really cares about anything else other than Fortnite. But it felt like more than Call of Duty, this is the game that made sense in the AAA market that could really use a mode like this. And I want to see it. And if we're still in the period of, is Battle Royale the new capture the flag where every game, every multiplayer game, every shooter has it? Or is it a, in a year or two, people are on to the next thing? And I, at this point, I think they would have revealed it, but I'm kind of hoping there is still a bit more that they're saving for something like E3. Well, Christian, uh, Call of Duty went back to World War II last year. Battlefield goes back to it this year. Are they just a year behind the Call of Duty feature set? Is it uh, is Battlefield 6 the game with uh, Battle Royale mode and no single player? Yeah, maybe. I, I do think it's interesting or fascinating to me that these franchises have kind of flip-flopped, right? Where Call of Duty launched as the game built around this narrative campaign this compelling dramatic bombastic narrative campaign in battlefield 1942 i think was the first one right 43 was that later one uh was this big multiplayer game that's what it was and now we're in 2018 and battlefield still has a traditional single player and call of duty's gone all in on multiplayer and like josiah said has, has embraced this battle royale mode and i i totally agree with you that um Josiah, that Battlefield makes so much sense to have it. It's already had the large player counts. Um, hopefully, its netcode can handle it. You know, I don't know if they've ever gone 100 person before, but I think on PC, wasn't it like 64 v 64 or something like that? I mean, they've they've done huge battles before with vehicles and having these large maps and airplanes and all of this really cool stuff that could have made for a very compelling Battlefield campaign or battle, Battlefield Battle Royale mode. But at the same time, you know, I think we've all been talking about how every game is going to have this mode now. Maybe they're not. (laughs) Maybe we've all been wrong. Maybe as armchair armchair analysts, we've all been wrong. And the mode is going to stay unique to Fortnite and PUBG and then a few also rands. But it's not going to be the thing that every game needs to have. I don't know if it's resource intensive or not, but... I think Call of Duty may be the, you know, the, the, the bellwether on that to see if that's the case. I mean, Jeff, if you had to decide you're Miss EA and, and you're, you know, directing this, this huge ship and you fly over to, and you sail over to Dice and you say yes or no, you need to have Battle Royale. Where do you come down on this? Oh, man. Uh, I think that if your direct competition of call, is Call of Duty and their big mic drop moment, at their reveal was the battle royale mode. It certainly seems like you would want that to be in your game as well. I'm I don't know how easy it is to implement this thing. If it even can be just you know DLC content that can be added quickly later, I, it feels like that. It kind of feels like that. Well, Radical Heights was four months ish. Like we have that timeline that it was made in four months, and where, where it released clearly wasn't a finished or polished game. But you'd think that Battlefield would be coming from a point higher, you know, along in terms of asset creation than where Radical Heights came from. So it seems like it's fairly quick, right? But maybe it also, you know, maybe they don't want to feel like followers. Maybe they don't want to feel like uh, everybody's doing it 
So we have to do it. If everybody jumped off a bridge with explosions in the background uh, with an AK-47, would we? Uh, <laughs> yes, they probably would. But uh, you know, yeah. And then you parachute and you land, and then you you murder everybody else. That's how those games <laughs> work, Jeff. That's one hundred percent. I mean, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how what the uptake is on that Call of Duty mode, Battle Royale mode, the blackout mode. But let's talk about instead of talking about what they didn't show, let's talk about a little a little bit about what they did show. And I'd love to get your reaction, Josiah, about the trailer and the sort of features that they're talking about. Completely revamped animation system, which is certainly on display in that trailer. Very much looks the animation looks like nothing I've ever seen before in a, in a shooter um, cust- character customization stuff. Uh, lots of n- new modes uh, talk of no uh, paid uh, season pass type thing. There's a, there's a lot to dig into here. What, what stood out to you? Well, I think when you go back to world war two, you really have to do something different, right? You need a real reason to do that. And it, it was, you know, bombastic is overused, but it, it was that it was fast paced. It was, it was in your face. And yeah, the, the animation systems, the different, if they really do bring a level of destruction back that people really valued in something like bad company too, where you're just taking a tank through a building, you're crushing things, you're hiding somewhere and suddenly the building collapses on you. You want that. And it seems like they're really investing in making it feel like that. And I think something that always has grabbed me about Battlefield is the the, the sound effects and, and the real sound design with it. And I've always been, when I was reviewing games for I, uh, IGN or GameSpot, I would almost always forget to mention sound design because if it doesn't really stand out, it's hard to notice. And Battlefield, just everything going on around you, whether it's a bomb in the distance or someone shooting directly at you, just sounds incredible. And that's honestly what stood out to me the most in that trailer is I noticed it even more. That There's just a level of, of detail and polish to these games that really grabs me. And uh, I, I really haven't played a Battlefield game in a while. Call of Duty and Battlefield are similar to me in terms of I kind of take a year off and then come back to see if I've missed anything. <laughs> but as of right now, even though, I mean, I don't mean to keep saying like, oh, here's what Battlefield's not doing because I think the reveal was good. Right now, Call of Duty has the edge in my mind of I'm more interested to see what they're doing with the Battle Royale mode. But in terms of a, a full package, Battlefield 5 is, is, is fascinating to me. Christian, how about you? What, what stands out to you from the overall presentation? I think the thing that stood out to me most was their DICE's reaction to all of our reaction to Battlefront, right? It very much felt like they were coming down with this, hey, we're not going to do the pay to win. Everything's going to be free. We're getting rid of the premium pass. Like that was a big moment for them. And it was important for them to stress during this reveal. I believe they never said the words no loot boxes. I I could see there being some form of that cosmetic stuff or, or, you know, some other way to monetize from the game. But I think it's a pretty big deal that the premium pass is gone and that all of the content is going to be coming to the game for free. We don't exactly know how much content will, you know, that is, it could be one map, but if you assume it's a type of support that pass that past battlefield games have had, you can, you can expect decent amount of content coming out for this. And I think that's a pretty big deal. And then the other part of it that I, that interests me is the, what are they calling it? Is it, is it tides of war? Is that like the season where it's like, it all builds to this thing. It's kind of their online 
marching toward different events, the live event version of the game. The reason they're giving players to check in week after week or day after day. And I'm fascinated by companies' approaches to this. You know, Fortnite has its battle pass where you're buying in to get these perks or rewards. Um, and then other games, Splatoon does these events where you're coming in from time to time to vote if you like ketchup or mustard and play these events. And all of the games trying to become games as services in unique ways. And I, I'm curious to see how Battlefield's approach pans out for them. What about you, Jeff? I was certainly taken by the the trailer. It, it, um, it feels like a pre-rendered cinematic trailer throughout. I mean, it, we are, that frostbite engine is very impressive. And that new animation system really does, I think, make it feel like a fresh kind of experience. It really does differentiate it from a lot of other games in the, in the same space. I'm not particularly excited about going back to World War II. Um, I just, I've played a lot of World War II games in my life and I, I just, it doesn't feel like we've been gone from it long enough for it to feel fresh again for me. And again, uh, the Call of Duties and Battlefields have gotten a little stale and I'm still in that place where I don't get, I'm not chomping at the bit to play either of them, quite frankly. Um, so, I, you know, the fact that this does still have a single-player campaign puts it gives it a leg up for me just because my gaming habits are much more along the lines of wanting to play through a story and play single-player and, um, you know, start to finish instead of getting deep down the rabbit hole of a multiplayer loop with these games. But, um, I you know, I'm impressed with, with what they showed. I do think the monetization is interesting. I mean, they seem very confident that there will be, uh, you have these like, I guess, what, what do they call them? Squads or something? They're not squads. They're like your, uh, gosh, what is it? A company I, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, company. I think that's right. Um, certainly evokes the bad company. Yeah, your company is, it's, it says it's basically the player's personal collection of soldiers, weapons, and vehicles. So it's all about that collection idea and um, tricking it out with cool cosmetics. And they seem to have a very robust system of cosmetics. So maybe we'll just all rely on that. And that's where we are. And I, I think that's a positive thing if you compare it to Star Wars. But, um, you know, again, this isn't a game that I'm dying to play, but I was definitely impressed with what I saw. So I thought it was a solid reveal. I thought it actually made a lot more sense uh, as a as an event than the Call of Duty one did, for sure. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. You did mention Star Wars. How much do you think what happened with Battlefront will change how people look at not just loot boxes, but how they monetize everything? Because it felt like that was developers were inching or publishers, maybe you might want to put more of the blame on inching and inching more toward how much can we do in terms of what we're selling and how we're structuring this. And that was kind of the moment that everyone's like, okay, enough is enough. We can't go all the way. And this seems like a direct result of that. I think that's a hundred percent correct. I think that changed everything. I mean, everybody had to take pause and go, okay, we're, we're under a Microsoft, uh, Microsoft. (laughs) That's a Freudian slip. We're under a microscope. (laughs) What a, what a Freudian slip that was. Uh, we are under a microscope because of the size and scale of something like Star Wars that gives this big mainstream attention to stuff that's been happening in video games for a long time. But when parents go, oh, I, my, you know, my kid can't play Luke Skywalker unless I buy this or that, uh, I think that put a white hot focus on it in a way that it wouldn't have with any other product, quite frankly. And I think it has, it has changed everything. It has, uh, you know, it made legislation happen. Uh, and I think, um, we are, we are seeing the reverberation from that 
just hitting now with these new wave of games in that same space. And I think you add in Fortnite's success to that. I mean, I think, Jeff, you texted me the number of what it made in April. Was it $240 million or something like that? Oh, no, Christian, $296 million. Uh, yeah, that's Fortnite made $296 million in April. And that's without a single... A single, there's no loot box in that game, right? That's character customization. It's this collectible, the company, you know, I could see how Battlefield could look at something like that and say, we're going to lean this way now, partly as a reaction to the brouhaha over loot boxes, but also this is where the money is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like not necessarily all good natured goodwill. It's like, oh, this is super profitable. People are interested in this. Let's give this a shot because. Do they they really not have any loot box? Because when I played Fortnite, I'll be at a while ago it was all pinatas as far as the eye could see i mean there's pinatas in game where you you were like items come out or whatever but all of your monetization is skins that you just buy you know the straight dollar value or battle pass and then the battle pass you're unlocking stuff as you're going through it so yeah you're never buying something not knowing what you're getting and even the battle pass itself it shows you all of the uh, there might be like a few like in a in emote and you don't know which one you're going to get but like it has all the skins outlined that's the carrot at the end of the stick is john wick at the end or you know so you see everything you're going to get as you check things off hmm. so what is your story of the week then christian well it's one that we missed last week we, you and i talked about it and i think it's because we talked about it too much in person that when we got to the show we forgot to talk about, <laughs> about it on the show um and it's a, it's a it's a sad one. It bums me out a little bit, but I, I do want to talk about it. And it's the closure of Bosky Studios. And again, it happened you know two weeks ago. As you're listening to this, so listeners of this show might already be um, familiar with this story. But Bosky is the studio that was started by Cliff Blazinski after he left Epic Games and then took a little bit of time away from gaming and then started his own studio and wanted to make you know top tier games. And he got a lot of great talent into the studio, and they were working on Lawbreakers, and it came out and did not perform well and it was on playstation 4 and pc only and it was really it really struggled despite i think a lot of the polish to the game it was that hero shooter style game that just didn't click with enough people and overwatch kind of ate everybody's lunch at the time and then they pivoted hard and quick it seemed like to do their take on the battle royale game and launch radical heights and that came out and it Looking back now, it clearly was a last-ditch effort. You know, the Hail Mary pass where we're turning off the lights (laughs) unless you can get something out. and You got three months, you know, or whatever it is, four months to get something out that can save us. And and Radical Heights certainly wasn't the game that could do that. Um, But I think it's interesting and and for two points, and I'm curious, Josiah, where you come down on the idea of um, a celebrity developer – can that we had talked for years we the, this culture online forums and stuff about give, giving names putting names on games right like we need to have more of this auteur driven stuff the way films it's a ron howard film it's a spielberg it's you know whomever um and with gaming it didn't really exist but cliff was one of the few people who was that name and yet bosky wasn't able to make it do you think that is some saying something about celebrity or personalized studios or do you think it was just other factors that sunk bosky i think it's a little bit of both not to ride the middle line here but i I do think people to a certain extent care about that name they care if hideo kojima makes something they care if uh, again cliff blazinski's name is on there but 
it feels like so much of releases these days are luck. And of course, there's a great amount of hard work that goes into it and quality will often reign supreme. But Lawbreakers was a quality game. It just yeah. came out at a time where people weren't looking for a game like that. I had a long conversation re- recently with someone, with a game developer, who had said that in a lot of cases, the, these creative directors with big names, that's the only people that uh, consumers really know. They see that name like, oh, that person made the game. But in reality, if we're going to go back to comparing things to basketball, they're more like the coach. And there's all these all-stars, whether they be environment artists or programmers or, or combat designers who are really the players. Those are the all-stars. And the coach is the one who you might know, but they're the one who's putting people in the right place to succeed. And I think at this point, I'm bummed that more of us don't know those other all-stars. We just know the coach. And I think in a lot of cases, it's cool to have names attached to games because you want that, right? You want to know who makes your video games. But in this case, it wasn't enough. And I'm super bummed for it to see that company go. I do think they were doing quality work, but sometimes quality work isn't enough when other trends are dominating. Yeah, I think you bring up some excellent points there. Uh, it is It is interesting that you know you, there are key figures in in the creation of video games and i guess it's analogous to film i guess it's, you can say it's a it's a ron howard film etc but th- and a game director does have a huge influence on how the game comes out we're seeing that with Corey barlog right now and and sort of the plaudits he's getting and deservedly so for for god of war and and yet we just had last week on two guys that were very instrumental in in that in the creation of that and i agree with you josiah that it would be wonderful if we had the next layer down of notable personalities you know who who are the guys that make up that who is the you know the equivalent of the cinematographer you know well that's Uh, a great but that i think you made your own point though to some extent who is a cinematographer on um force awakens uh, I don't know, but I know several cinematographers, you know, like, uh, sure. But I'm saying like, that was a huge film. Who's a cinematographer on infinity war. Right. I mean, no you're idea. putting me on the spot, right. But there are, but that doesn't mean just because I can't name the cinematographer on every big movie doesn't mean that I don't know cinematographers for any movie. You know what I mean? Well, cr- true. But I know level designers for some games, you know what I, I don't know. I guess I agree with the point that as a general public, we really don't know any of them, but I also think as a general public, we don't know very many game directors. You know, there's there's a few. And then I would love if more of the talent, the team, which I think was a great, you know, analogy for how this thing works. I would love if we knew more of the team and more of them were celebrated and held up. And I think BAFTA and some of these award shows do a good job of getting more of the team on stage. Uh, but I think that exists in so many things. Who who knows the people at Apple other than Johnny or Tim or this handful of people? Or who who's at Microsoft right now? Who's leading the Xbox division? Who's making those decisions? I think that's a problem everywhere. I also don't want to tangent too far away from Bosky, so I apologize for being the one to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, ultimately, my point was going to be that I don't. I think this has less to do with celebrity and more to do with the fact that the game just felt very generic, both of them. Um, and, and maybe that is seen through the lens of Cliff Blazinski's celebrity in the sense that he's the guy that's known for Gears of War. And Gears of War at the time, yeah, it was a third-person shooter and there's a lot of third-person shooters, but it felt like this incredible new thing. It felt like uh, a complete reimagining of what a third person shooter could be this sort of you know 
horizontal platformer where you you are going from uh, cover to cover and that roadie run, which every game picked up, and the fact that it kind of borrowed the the uh, camera placement from Resident Evil Four, and all of that stuff seems really uh, common now because it is. But it did that first, and he, and it felt like this visionary game. And I think he got a, a, the celebrity that he attained was due to that feeling that he really had a vision and brought something fresh and new to the space. And then, so if you look at these games through that lens, yeah, Lawbreakers had this kind of zero gravity thing. But I think there's like zero to gravity modes in Unreal Tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Whatever the case, the both of the games felt like Me Too games to me, maybe, maybe not to others. Uh, but you know, I visited the studio in North Carolina. I played the game before it came out. I met the guys. They all seemed really passionate about the game. And I came away from it feeling like, I don't understand. I don't understand the passion for a game that feels like a thousand other games right now. Uh, and, uh, that I think ultimately is, it wasn't enough that it was just Cliff Blazinski's version of a fast-paced hero shooter or Cliff Blazinski's version of a battle royale game. I think the games themselves had to have more identity. Yeah, and uh, Christian, I, I I don't want to misquote this, but I think d- during the like on the 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 way to release of that game on on the road to that, there was a quote out there something about like we don't want to be like Overwatch. There was some quote of that nature. We don't want to be that type of hero shooter. And I think there's value to a team making the game they want to play and they believe in. If they don't like the trends of what's popular out there, you don't have to follow those. You can make the thing that you like. But is that also dangerous when you get so in the weeds and so much we want to make the thing we like that you might be missing that there's a lot of audiences have moved on to different types of shooters. There are other shooters out there, other styles of gameplay that people like. And if you ignore that and get stubborn, you might run into a wall. Yeah, it's hard. And and making games takes time. And I think anticipating these trends is difficult. Um, And yeah, I don't know. I I thought Lawbreakers had a lot of quality behind it. It was too fast and too precise for me. And and maybe that's what made Overwatch such a success is that I could play Reinhardt all day, every day. And if you put me on a professional team that needed a Reinhardt, which they probably wouldn't be playing one, I wouldn't, we wouldn't win. But you wouldn't watch that stream and think, what is that person doing? Put me on a professional stream of Lawbreakers and they would be like, what is this person who, whose kid is this you know like how much did they I pay th- to be here i think they would say those things about your reinhardt oh, <laughs> Quite man. Frankly, having seen having seen a lot of professional overwatch play they wouldn't have a reinhardt, next level but yes but what yes you're probably right I could, be in, I could be in the d league i mean you saying, could i don't yeah you could step up to lebron on the court uh but people would ask why you're there well i'm playing <laughs> against kd tomorrow so hopefully they don't ask too many questions uh, the key point, though, and, and you did say this at the beginning, but the key point is that it, it is a sad thing when a studio like this goes under. And certainly we hope that uh, all, all of these people land on their feet. And um, we hope this isn't the last we've heard of Cliff Blazinski, even though in his statement he did say he's going to take some time to reflect. And uh, that indicates to me that he's, he, he won't be doing a new game um, for a while. So it's a, it's, it's a sad thing. It's sad, but I do think in that case sometimes it's better just to you know take a breath take a step back, reevaluate and just be like, all right, that didn't work. We'll come back later. And like you said, just hope everyone yeah. there lands on their feet. They're all extremely talented. Speaking of esports and money that uh, Christian will not be earning. Um, my story of the week is $100 million. 
which is the amount of money that Epic this week pledged to a one year's worth of Fortnite esports prize pool. We don't know how many events that means. We don't know exactly how these esports will even be organized, what the point system will be, what, what's going on at all. But we do know there's a giant truckload of cash parked in front of Fortnite and it's beckoning new players to play it. Some interesting things. So this will be the 2018-2019 season. Uh, and some interesting statistics about this $100 million prize pool. If you look at the top 16 games in esports, League of Legends, Dota, Call of Duty, all of them, Hearthstone, everything. You add up all of the prize pools in one year for the top 16 games, and it just equals $100 million. So Epic is coming correct with the equivalent of playing all the tournaments for st- – the next 16 games on the list in one year. So I think that really, you know, throws down the gauntlet and says, Hey, if you want to make some serious money, this is the game to play. And it certainly puts a white hot spotlight on fart Fortnite If there are, wasn't already one, which there is, but there's but, only uh, one third of their April revenue. So that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly right. It is uh, pocket change to Epic, but a huge, um, I think a huge flag in the sand for them to say – or I'm mixing my metaphors again. But anyway, it's a, it's a huge marker that says this is going to be big and this is going to be important. Uh, what do you think this means beyond that, Josiah? You know, it's funny. I feel like I had what I thought was a hot take a couple months back where I was like, when's the point where Fortnite becomes the next Minecraft, where it becomes the next game that has the sort of recognition – outside of the regular gaming bubble where you know parents are talking about it your your grandma might i don't know be dabbing like one of the people in fortnite and doing things like that i really hope there aren't actually i do hope there are grandmas dabbing i take it back and it seemed like a hot take back then but fortnite is the biggest game in the world right now and that yeah, didn't take long for that to, that to become true it was uh, it happened pretty fast yeah, that aged pretty well it's it's incredible <laughs> right now and i like that's i have a younger brother who just graduated college and i feel like all he did when he was not in class was play fortnite i i know so many people where this is their everything and um it, it's cool to see them making it big to take that and keep it rolling not just to rest in their laurels and go into like we're going to make this as big as this game is we're doing big esports stuff and i mean streamers like like ninja out there who are essentially celebrities now based off this game i mean there are like football players and basketball players who are doing all of these different Fortnite sort of dances and stuff after they do something we're in a really weird time there's not a lot of games that happen like this that really grab everyone's imagination it's cool to see them put the money down for esports for stuff like this and i'm fascinated to kind of see how it develops i for a while i was looking at this from a distance as like the the old person who's like i don't get it uh but i just won my first game the other night and 100 <laughs> percent, i'm it. like i get it it makes complete sense now I, it's <laughs> very different from the first chicken dinner uh but it's it, it really struck a chord with me so fortnite is fascinating and i i want to see kind of how this develops yeah, to tie this in with what we were talking about earlier, uh, I heard someone mention that we're in a time where people who play video games are more famous than people who make video games, which is a pretty wild thing. I'm not sure there's any other art form like that where the people who consume the art form 
are more famous than the people who make the art form. No, um, we all know Sarah Jenkins. She loves the NBA. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm a big Jenkins fan. I'm a Jenkins head. <laughs> Sarah yeah. watches every game. She I got watch game her. Pass. I, I watch her Twitch channel where she watches NBA games. <laughs> it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. So, hundred million, Christian. Are you uh, are you quitting all your jobs and you know taking a recess from your family and just going to buckle down and become a a Fortnite millionaire? No, dude. I'm next level. I'm surprised you didn't see this. Uh, the same day that Epic announced a hundred million, I announced ninety nine cents that I was adding to the prize pool. So, no, no I did see that. I saw that. I saw <laughs> that. Uh, it's uh, not yeah. so, putting a big dent, put a dent in the thing. So your your plan is. Um, find the best player and give them an extra 99 cents. <laughs> what I'm curious to see about this, is there the structure for it? Because to me, that's the biggest question mark. And they talked about things like inclusion and doing things differently. And Ninja's Vegas event was definitely different than a typical esports event. What they're doing at E3 with 50v50 celebs and like they're doing, you know, the program where Bill Murray will be there, <laughs> you know, like na 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 or whatever they're doing is a very different. I, by the way, that's money well spent. If that happens, that's worth a hundred million. Get Bill Murray on a Fortnite. I would watch that. that. Would, yeah, that'd be great. He shows up with golf clubs and is like, "Oh, I've been lied to." <laughs> but that's what I'm curious to about is how they do this. And they have had leaderboards in some of their one-off events, or they've like Jetpacks is currently their one-off in Thanos and things like that, and some of the solo play. So they're clearly experimenting with this. But I think if it's just straight a regular kind of run-of-the-mill tournament that we've seen time and time again with H1Z1 or PUBG, I think it's a little less interesting. Certainly the money makes it desirable for a lot of competitive gamers. But I, I do think that Epic is going to do something out of the box here. And you know maybe we'll finally get the Wizard 2 as they announce their their eSport plans. It's going to be interesting to see how many events this this is. Um, we, of course, the, the top game right now in, in terms of the amount of money – you can win or total in an entire year is Dota 2. And that's because of the international, they crowdsource the prize pool for the international, uh, which is $36 million. So this is triple that, right? And over a year. But does that mean that each each event is going to be an order of magnitude greater? I'm, I'm sure it will. But does that does that also mean they're going to have an order of magnitude more events or if it's just going to be, yeah, 25 mil each time. Boom. Oh, I don't man. know. It's going to be really interesting to see. I hope it's one big event, one event, hundred million. Yeah. Winner take all. Yeah, yeah, that's winner it. Take all. Nobody the ultimate else battle ever. royale. 99 people get nothing. <laughs> and Bill Murray, the hundred million dollars. <laughs> oh, I would watch that. Yeah, I would too. All right, uh, let's get moving and talk about some of the games we have been playing. But first, I want to tell you about Blue Apron. Blue Apron is – you talk about change your life money, $100 million. Blue, Blue Apron is change your life thing. Can I interject really quick? So I'm in, I'm, on, I'm in Indian Wells, and we were coming out here, and we're staying at this really nice house. And, uh, you know, we're like, oh, we have young kids. We're not going to be able to go out to dinner, but they're going to go to bed early, and we're going to have fun. What can we do? And then my wife had the idea. She was like, we should send our Blue Apron there. Change the address. It got here the same day we got here. It's incredible. I never I, I never would have thought of that. And my wife was That's like, yeah. brilliant. And so we've been eating – the best food while on vacation, while not being able to leave the house. And it is a win on every level. That is awesome. Christian, uh, 
I love Blue Apron. I wish I, I would definitely send it to wherever I happen to be because uh, it's the preferred way that I like to eat. Um, it has changed my life, absolutely changed my life because I'm getting cooking skills. I'm eating really awesome. I'm eating healthier. I have portion control and the food is so good. What is Blue Apron? It is a meal delivery kit. It's a the, the leading delivery service of meal kits in the United States. And what you get is a box of fresh ingredients uh, that are delivered right to your door and delicious recipes that you use those ingredients to make. So it basically removes all the impediments that I've had to cooking, uh, which is A, deciding what to make because I'm terrible at that. It's, it's overwhelming. Cookbooks and internet searches, it's just like, what, what do I even make? And then the going to the store, going to the grocery store, buying all the groceries is such a pain. And then you end up with extra of everything you bought and you made one meal and then you got all this extra you know, stuff that you don't need. Blue Apron gives you portions that are perfect for the for what you need to make. They give you just what you need. There's no waste, no leftover. You cook it in a very clear, concise, step-by-step instructions. And you have the flexibility of getting great recipes, recipes that kind of work around your dietary needs. They offer 12 new recipes every week, and you can pick two, three, or four of the recipes based on what fits your schedule best. They send only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. This is good stuff that you'll that you'll be happy that you're eating, and you cook it yourself so you see what goes into it. You're not going to get a bunch of crap in there. It's wonderful. It has changed my life. I am not kidding. I made a Blue Apron just last night. I would have made it tonight, but uh, my wife decided to cook Blue Apron it's wonderful that we can do that. We can eat really, really well. And I want to make you guys able to do that. Why don't you check out blueapron.com slash DLC. You'll get your first three meals free. Blueapron.com slash DLC. That's B-L-U-E-A-P-R-O-N.com slash DLC. Give it a shot. There's nothing to lose. First three meals free. Check out, understand how fun it can be to cook, how easy it can be to cook, how good the food can taste, and the variety that you get in your life. You're not eating the same old meals every every single week. Blueapron.com slash DLC. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Time to talk about the games we have been playing. Josiah, what is on your playlist? Oh, man, there's been a lot lately. And of course, I know you guys have probably talked God of War to death at this point with how much you've been playing it. But uh, I just started after my move to L.A., I hooked up my PS4. I finally had God of War. And the funniest thing about this is while I've been enjoying it, uh, what I actually want to talk about is this indie game that is coming out early next week. So I can't talk too much about it but it's called moonlighter and somehow it is taking my attention away from maybe the biggest game of the year moonlighter is this little indie game where you are a merchant in this town and you're you're going through dungeons old school zelda style very similar feel very similar look but what your your goal here is to get the items from these monsters to take those items and to sell them and find the correct price for them people are coming in your store you're haggling you're trying to find the correct price and you're using that money to buy upgrades for your store, to bring new people into your town, to to buy new weapons. And I am someone who just falls in love with progression systems. I like to see numbers go up. I like to feel like I am contributing to the growth of something, whether it be a character or in this case, a character and a village. And I legitimately 
can't stop playing it. I, my roommate was like, you have God of War. What are you doing? I'm like, I just got to get that last upgrade. I need this new sword. It looks so cool. And I've just been putting so many hours into it. So I've just been going to these dungeons. I've been collecting all this loot. I've been doing that on repeat. And again, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because again, it's coming out on Tuesday. So there's probably some sort of embargoes. Um, but it's for people who are interested, it is on Switch. It's on PS4, Xbox One, I think as well too, PC. It's this fascinating indie game that is now somehow taking my time away from God of War. Uh, Jeff, have you heard of this game? Have you seen it? Oh yeah, I uh, I have this game as well. And um I, I, I definitely concur that it's, it's pretty charming. It is. Yeah. It's that wonderful. What if of, uh, <laughs> what if you were the shopkeeper in the Zelda world? And then, you know, you find out that there's these cool dungeons. I might just moonlight myself and go out there and, uh, check out the dungeons myself. Maybe I'll get some cool stuff to sell in the shopkeep. Uh, but you know, he fights with a broom, uh, at least at first, uh, it's great. And it's got this great pixel art style that is, uh, I think really, really well executed. Um, I have not played it as much as it sounds like you have, but <laughs> I, I definitely dig it. It's got a cool aesthetic and a very charming um, concept. It's got that roguelike thing that I that I get really uh, hooked on too. So maybe this one will will get its teeth into me as well. Yeah, you should definitely keep going with it. It, it is it's a really fun and I think charming is the right word. Uh, the other game I really wanted to bring up is Nino Kuni Two, which mm. I I am a massive JRPG guy. I will talk about Final Fantasy to a point where you'll probably kick me off this call. Like I, it's when I was younger, that was the kind of stuff I was really into. And the original Nino Kuni kind of reminded me of why I loved those type of games. Have you ever played the game that somehow? It, it modernizes all these systems, but at the same time, it just has that core that reminds you of why you love this thing. I think the, um, the Ratchet and Clank remaster that came out not too long ago updated the visuals, updated, added a lot of content, but it made you feel like you were in that moment again. For me, I think it was junior high or high school where Ratchet and Clank came out, and it felt like I was playing it again for the first time. And while Nino Kuni 1 was a new game, it gave me that same sense. And Nino Kuni 2 is wildly different in terms of the systems and even the look and a lot of what you're doing. But speaking of games with incredible progression, you're building this kingdom from the ground up and you're, you're watching it grow through each quest. And it, it's a little bit of a slower start for me just because there was something about the charm. Speaking of charm again, of Nino Kuni 1 that completely grabbed me from the start. This one was a slower burn for me, but it was about a 40 or 50 hour experience that by the end, just the big old stupid smile on my face because it's a storybook game and it, it goes through a storybook narrative progression. And uh, again, it's, 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 it's probably my favorite genre and a genre that isn't as popular these days. And I totally understand why, but Nino Kuni 2 is standing out to me as, as one of the more fascinating games this year. Christian, I'm not sure if you're as JRPG obsessed as I am, but have you played either Nino Kuni 1 or Nino Kuni 2? I played the first game a little bit, not a lot, um, because of time and just I the honestly it's, I get overwhelmed with the commitment, knowing that I won't make it and knowing that I want to spend ninety minutes when I sit down to play and then I don't do it. And then um just hearing Jeff's impressions of Nino Kuni two kind of veered me away from that game. Not that I probably would have dove in, but I it seems like people that love it really, really love it. And then there are people that it just doesn't quite click with also. And I think it's interesting that for a game to be pretty universally praised in terms of like its Metacritic score also seems a little polarizing where fans of the first game were like, this isn't that. And then other fans, it seems like you were like, yeah, it's not, but it's incredible. <laughs> you need to yeah, play it anyway. 
it's different and but really fascinating and and fun in its own way but it doesn't uh, visually you can see the parallels and you can see some of the narrative similarities but it feels like an entirely different game but that's okay like i walked away feeling like that wasn't maybe what i expected but sometimes the things that stick are the things you don't expect which which one of the nino cooney's would do you prefer Oh man, I, I think it's one because it did sort of, you know, remind me of an entire genre that I loved. And I am a complete sucker for that, that style of animation and, and just how that game went. And the really bizarre complaint for Nino Kuni 2 is they really are sparse on voice acting. And I understand budget wise. And when you're at a scale, it's hard to voice act everything. But there were so many characters who really were fascinating and fun and, and creative. And again, charming to keep using that word that. It really didn't have a voice and you could tell that if they just had a voice you would get that character more it was almost the um the banjo kazooie like who that they do at every yeah. like start of the sentence and it didn't feel like enough and i know maybe that's a a small complaint it's it's kind of like me trying to poke a small hole in there but it was just enough that it it took away some of uh that sort of narrative power and potency the first one had just because i felt like i was reading way too much in this game yeah, and they would do it would be odd moments where it would just be like a sentence in the middle of a paragraph that they voiced. It was like a, very odd decisions that way. Yeah, it would almost cut away to a cutscene for 20 seconds and then immediately yeah. go to like the same type of thing and they're not talking anymore. And like, there's so many times like, why? I want to love you more. Just let it. But yeah, systems wise, it, it's it's far and away a better video game. But sometimes that's not what matters. I felt like uh, Nino Kuni 2 was was better than the sum of its parts. It, it, it was uh, I, I thought none of the individual systems uh, I loved, but the fact that there were so many of them and the way they interplayed with each other made the game much more enjoyable than any one of the things. Any one thing I was doing at any given time, I was like, this is a little simple. But then because how it played into all the other weird simple systems, it made it uh, a complex game and it added up, I think, to uh, – a much more fun experience than than anything you're doing at any given time, at least for me. Yeah, that's the key. I think because everything feeds into the next thing and, and not to keep going back to Moonlight or because the dungeon crawling leads to items and the items lead to sales and the sales lead to progression. You need that sort of loop. And maybe when you break it down like that, it sounds way more like they're trying to manipulate your brain to like the video game. But I'm apparently <laughs> just easy to manipulate because I love that stuff. And yeah, I do think Nino Kuni, like there's a certain army mechanic to it and the combat's fine it's not fantastic but it's interesting and the, the kingdom building is good but if it was just the core of the game you'd be like that's not enough but when it works in concert it, it really works well and I, I do think the story wraps up maybe in a predictable way but sometimes predictable that puts a smile on your face is just fine awesome again that's nino cooney 2 and um moonlighter and god of war christian what about you what's on your playlist well, I'll just say that I, I continue to play Rocket League and I really enjoy it on the Switch, um, but we don't need to talk about it. But I like that game very much. What I want to talk about this week, and I know, Jeff, you have two games that people will probably want to hear a lot about. But as promised last week, um, my copy of Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition showed up and I had spent some time with the game prior. And this is the best version of that game. If you've held off on playing and you think it's interesting or, or you stepped away from warrior style games for years, you know, we talked about a year off from Call of Duty or, or Battlefield. I, I know a number of gamers that have maybe taken 10 <laughs> off from from, war, from from Dynasty Warrior style games. And 
there are tons of them, yes, but they are still very satisfying in this. You're just kicking the crap out of thousands of things. Like it's, <laughs> it's like a pinball machine or like at the end of, um, oh gosh, what's it? Uh, oh, come on, brain. It's the iOS it's uh, Peggle. End of every Cavs game? Wait, <laughs> you're, you're LeBron? <laughs> it's it's Peggle. It's that Peggle moment, right? When like Ode the Joy plays, like so much of every moment of every Warriors game, and certainly uh, Warriors. That's funny. Um, not not the basketball Warriors, um, Dynasty or now Hyrule Warriors. It's just this. You're just comboing through these massive fields of enemies, and this version takes all of the 3DS content. You're seeing it in HD for the first time. Um, I don't want to say everything is unlocked from the get go, but it feels like it is. I haven't played enough to see if truly everything from those games but they've got the, a lot of the grind for characters and different aspects are playable from the beginning now in all of the modes it took stuff from fire emblem warriors where you can switch characters mid-map now by doing uh up or down on the d-pad um it also has split screen co-op if you want to play it that way it is a really really great package it is a very old game you know well, you know, Wii U and 3DS versions have came, came out several years ago, but this is by far like the definitive version of this game. And it, to me, because of the uprising of the 3DS stuff and combining all of those things into one game and taking things from Fire Emblem Warriors, um, it, it feels like it earns its price a little more than something like Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, which I loved that game on Wii U. I think it's one of the best platformers ever made. But that coming out at 60 bucks felt a little bit like an insult, especially when I bought it new on Wii U for 40 But for Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition, it feels like it kind of earns its price. And if you have avoided these games for a while or are looking for something new or fun to play on your Switch, it certainly scratches that itch. Um, it's not... It's not the most compelling game. It's not something where you're like, oh, I got to see what happens, at least in my opinion. You know, like this narrative isn't pulling you in. It's all about unlockables and combos and going out and having this, the little bit strategy of where you're going to send your particular character, where you're going to go and kick butt because you're super OP and how you're going to manage resources around the map, which is standard Warriors fare. But what they do really well in this game and did years ago as well is the the Zelda-ness to it. It's really well done in terms of winks, nods, or just outright call-outs and playing as these characters on these maps is is really, really fun. So if you've avoided it before um, and thought maybe you'd be interested in it, it's, it's easy to recommend, but I don't think it will win any Game of the Year awards, but also that's okay. So that's Hyrule Warriors, the definitive edition. Christian says it's definitive. It's a definitive edition. So that's uh, it's good to know. Um, I last night finished Detroit Become Human. You're human. Congratulations. I, I'm also uh, moving to Detroit, which is weird. Um, <laughs> it's the new game from David Cage and Quantic Dream. If you are not familiar with them, they made Heavy Rain and Beyond Two Souls. And you can pretty much determine whether or not you're going to like Detroit Become Human based on whether you liked those games. Uh, it's it's the same kind of thing. They're very polarizing games. Where is it for, between those two, though? Because I loved one and did not like the other. Which one? You loved Heavy Rain and didn't like? Yes. Um, yeah, I thought Two Souls bogged down in combat and its narrative wasn't as crisp and Heavy Rain did what it did. It was pulpy and didn't have you trying to do a third-person cover-based shooter. Right. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, Detroit Become Human is the best Quantic Dream game. 
And in other ways, it's the worst quantum dream game. <laughs> but it is uh, – <laughs> no, I don't think it's the worst. I think I think in, it, it mostly – I Heavy Rain has a very soft spot in my heart. Um, but I, I think this game is much more ambitious than Heavy Rain ever was and actually succeeds in ways that Heavy Rain never did. But also uh, is – problematic in a whole number of ways um i think it's definitely a better game than beyond two souls was even though i liked beyond two souls i really did i thought the the story was interesting and different and uh, i i'm i dig these games i mean these are basically choose your own adventure games writ large right and i like that they, they are not about there's nothing in the game about challenging you. It is not, you know, when a term that I'm not a big fan of when people say, oh, I beat the game, you know, there's nothing, you don't beat a quantic dream game because there's, the game isn't trying to prevent you from winning. It's just, which decisions did you make along this way? Which story did you come out the other side of? What, what, what events based on your decisions, based on the things you feel and you observe and you want, what story did you get? And the magic of Heavy Rain was – I'd never seen anything quite like that where I played a game that I thought was a very linear game. And on the other side of it, I talked to people who played it and we had completely different experiences. And we didn't – I didn't know at the time as it was happening exactly what I was – how I was influencing the story. There was no moment where I was like – I mean, there were some moments where you're making decisions, but mostly there were things that the game would just do on the fly. And it's just how my story expressed itself, right? And at the end of it, I would have a wildly different narrative than somebody else that played the game. And I thought that was just this magic trick that was so cool um, that the game felt very personal to me, even though it felt like the story that was always going to be the story that, that, that happened. Detroit Become Human handles that in a very different way. And it's very interesting. They've decided to gamify that whole process. So yes, you're still making choices on the fly. Yes, the game saves constantly and you can't go back and change anything. Yes, I made, I did some things I didn't intend to and went, oh no, oh no. And then it happened and I couldn't unhappen it. Um, but at the end of every, I want to say level, but it's not really a level, at the end of every scene, the end of every segment of the game, you go to a menu that is a gigantic flowchart, and it shows you exactly what you chose and all the other things that could have happened. Those, all those other things aren't filled in, so you don't see like specifically what could have happened, but you see that there were all kinds of trigger points and other things that may have happened. And it's these amazing, brilliant visual uh, com complex flowcharts that makes you go, oh my God, the making of this game must have been insane. Um, and then it also awards you points based on what? I don't know. But it awards you points that you can then spend in the extras menu to unlock videos and concept art and stuff. So it's gamifying this decision process and it's also surfacing all the information that heavy rain and beyond two souls specifically did not surface which is hey there's a bunch of different things you could have done did you, you know, feel like that affected your gameplay like would you try to do something differently because of that like is it highlighting you're playing good or bad or nope. was it just an interesting data point along the it way was, it was it was pure interesting data and in fact, they allow you to push a button and show the percentage of other human beings that have played it and what they did. 
And that I spent several minutes after every scene, just looking at that and going, Oh my, Oh my God, 99% of the people did that. Oh wow. That's crazy. Or I was only of 13% of the people that played this game. I did that. It's, that is fascinating. And I think really kind of fun. Um, and the gamification of it is is really interesting. And, and I think what they're trying to suggest is, hey, go back and play this game again and do different things, which I've never wanted to do in a Quantic Dream game before because I felt like that was my play. That was what I did. That was my story. This game came out. I had my story. It's different than your story, but that's the story I'm going to remember from playing Heavy Rain. Right. And that was the narrative behind Heavy Rain, too, where David Cage was talking about that, like you play it once and this is what it is. And you're, it's not about saving every five seconds and, you know, this, that or the other. It's, it's your playthrough. Yeah. But, the, you know, the story of, of Detroit Become Human is and this is I'm not going to spoil anything, but the, the, the general story is androids, you know, start coming to life and being autonomous. Right. Uh, being, you know, human like. Um and so there's a lot of themes of data and uh, decision and all those things. So it, it kind of grows out of that. And I found it really interesting. I, I'm still not going to go back and redo things, but it kind of blew my mind to just see the number of things I didn't do. It's kind of insane how much of the game I didn't see, you know, Um and it's still not going to get me to go back and, and do it again, I don't think, because I still feel that way. Like, this is my story. This is what I did. They, but the data part is is really compelling. And they even do one thing. Like, the first time that I left the game and came back and pushed continue, it gave me this uh, survey that was just, like, asking questions of me. Like, hey, w- would you ever let um, an Android uh, drive you somewhere? You know, would you ever let an Android take care of your kids? Would you ever let an Android, you know, like it's just asking these, these questions of you and what you feel about AI and and where we are in the world now. And then it gives you the data of how everybody else answered those questions. And it's fascinating. It's like you're in this weird sociology experiment in the game as well. I thought that all that stuff was really, really cool. Is the writing as heavy handed and quote unquote, David Cagey? as it has been in the past, because I'm like Christian, where I really did appreciate Heavy Rain. I loved it, especially in the moment. Never play it again, because the more you play Quantic Dream games, the more the seams kind of show. Um, and then entirely skipped Beyond Two Souls. But in all of those games, there's still an aspect of the narrative where you're like, Ugh, like I, I get it. You don't have to emphasize that as much as you are. Is it still feel like that? Or does it feel like they've learned from how many games they've made? It is way worse. Oh, no. <laughs> it is way worse. Uh, it is... It is very heavy-handed, very on the nose. Every bad guy is the worst guy. Every character says their subtext out loud. It is as on the nose and overt and not subtle as you can possibly be. People who are you're supposed to feel something against are irredeemable, awful, deplorable human beings. And uh, people who you're supposed to like are virtuous in, in every way. It is not subtle. And in fact, the themes of this game, because they're on this grand scale of sort of human rights or non-human rights, as the case may be, uh, it's even worse because it is, uh, it's dealing with this sort of grand thematic content 
and it's not subtle about it. I mean, it, it evokes very specific things from history. And then at one point, somebody would be like, hey, it's crazy how this mirrors American history. It's like, yeah, we, we, get, we got it, man. I got it. I got it. Um, you know, it, it, people will say the thing out loud that has been hitting you over the head over and over. And yet they still feel the need, like, don't miss the fact that this is happening. You know, it's like, oh, come on, David, you can do it. But I will say that despite that, I really enjoyed playing this game. I have enjoyed all the Quantic Dream games, so take that with that grain of salt. But I really enjoyed the moments. And I think that's where these games have always shined for me. The the bigger things, the the dialogue, the the bigger themes have been a little clunky and heavy-handed, and maybe not even a little, maybe a lot clunky and heavy-handed. But the moments, there are moments in all of these games, and I think more moments in this one than in many of than the other two, that I will remember that land in a very beautiful way, that are expressed in a really beautiful way, that give me really interesting decisions that make me actually think about what I would want to do in that situation. Like I, I do feel when I'm playing these games that I'm expressing the story I want to express, you know, that I'm doing, I'm role-playing in the most fundamental sense, in the sense that I'm imagining what I would want to happen here. Um, and I like that. I, the other thing that this game has going for it that is worth playing for it alone is the design. It is like a masterclass in design. And the amount of work that went into realizing this near future Detroit is staggering. Everything is thought through. Everything makes sense. There's really interesting ideas of how stuff is going to work, how the world works, big things, little things, how transit works, what autonomous cars look like, what, what people wear, how they talk. There's a scene where you're in a, in a room and there's a coffee maker and you go over and you make coffee. And it's like, Somebody invented a future coffee machine for this game. Like it's a, a version of a futuristic coffee machine I've never seen before in anything. It's like every detail is thought through. And I remember David Cage, I think for Heavy Rain, he talked about how they they think of each level as uh, a set for a, a you know like a film set. And it really these are meticulously detailed sets that yes, have tons of invisible walls. You can't just go anywhere and do anything, but that's not really the point. It's not about breaking the game. It's not about doing whatever you want. It's not about, you know, challenge. It's about living inside the magic trick, absorbing what they want you to absorb, seeing the shot the way they want you to see it, and then making these really interesting, juicy decisions that I find to be fun and compelling. There are moments where I was really on the edge of my seat uh, and, and doing very simple things. The game is not fat. I mean, there are some action sequences. In fact, I will say this, there's there's a concept of action that I think could be its own entire game where the androids like analyze a, a, a situation and then look and calculate how they could move through the situation and go, oh, nope, that won't work. Oh, nope, that won't work. Oh, okay, that will work. Now execute. And I think that could actually be its own game. So there are, there are really fresh ideas, really fun things, the, the, the design and the look. I mean, it's a gorgeous game. The acting is really excellent. They used real Hollywood actors. Um, Lila Garrity from Friday Night Lights is in oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah, I have a crush on her. She's amazing. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, there's a lot to like if you like these games. I unlocked at the end of the experience, I unlocked um, 
a making of video, which is really, really good, really cool. Um, and you know, one of the things they said in the game or in the making of video is 150 people were employed for five years making this game. And I kind of can't believe that is economically viable. Like this kind of game feels like not a mainstream game at all. It is so niche and so weird and so, but just triple A dripping, triple A constant, you know, it's the amount of money that was spent on this is insanity. Um, but I think it's worth playing. So that's Detroit become human. I'm curious. Uh, just, you said it was beautiful. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but I'm curious how beautiful it is. Cause I think part of the selling point of heavy rain on the PlayStation three, that it was one of the most beautiful games and facial animations people had seen and that commercial sold it so well. But now where we're coming off of a game like God of War or Horizon Zero Dawn that are these huge worlds without as many invisible walls or ends to their sets, how does something like Detroit uh, become human match with like God of War or Horizon? Is it still blowing you away or is it just a another pretty game? It blows me away in a different way. I mean, I don't think it is uh, I, pixel for pixel as exquisite as God of War, but it, it is uh, cinematic in a different way than God of War is cinematic, right? It, it never feels like a video game. It always feels like a movie. And, I mean, it's an interactive m- movie and there are like the, the level of detail and the level of variety and the places you go and the things you see. And like I said, the design of the world, it feels like they went to a place in the future and shot it. It is every single place you go to has so much going on in the foreground, in the background. It is staggering, but yeah, it's a very slow paced world. It's a very slow paced game. It is it's all about listening and talking. I think the character animation is not quite to the level that you see with Kratos, but still, I mean, it's the entire game was motion captured. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, I thought it was really, really beautiful. Also want to mention uh, quickly Dark Souls Remastered. I'm not a Dark Souls guy per se, so I'm probably not the best person to give full account of the game. And quite honestly, I haven't played tons of it, but I wanted to pop in and see specifically visually how remastered it was. Uh, and it looks fine. What, do, what, do you, <laughs> what are you playing on? PlayStation 4. Uh, it looks fine. It's, um, it's not going to fool anybody into thinking it's a new game. I mean, it's not... Here's no, a question not- for you. What looks what blew you away more? Dark Souls Remastered on PlayStation 4 or um uh come on, Dark Siders. Dark Siders? Yeah. Redone, not even redone, just a free update for Xbox One X. Yeah. I mean, the Dark Siders looks better, but Dark Siders always looked better. Like Dark Siders But that's still looked bold, better than Dark though. Souls. That's but but this isn't just Dark Souls. This is Dark Souls Remastered, and there's different levels of Remastered, certainly. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I think that's saying a lot. I think that's saying a lot, what Xbox is doing. I'm sure if I had it side-by-side side with the original Dark Souls, I would think it was a big step up. Uh, but just having – especially because I literally popped the disc out of Detroit Become Human and popped Dark Souls Remastered in, I was like – Oh, this is an old game. <laughs> this is old. Did we uh, and it need did not look a remastered version of Dark Souls? Like because we have I feel like there were so many Dark Souls games in a row and Bloodborne. I'm actually a massive fan of these games, but by Dark Souls 3, I was like, sure have killed a lot of things and died a lot. Like sure have done this for <laughs> quite some time. Uh, maybe it's coming to the Switch, right? Is that 
also what it's going to be on. Yeah, later. That version has been delayed, but it is coming. See, I could see why that has value because I, I like most people, want everything to be on the Nintendo Switch. But at this <laughs> point, I like you said, if you can't really notice the difference and maybe put it side by side, sure it is there. I, I would say you could just play Dark Souls 3, which is probably just as pretty. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like I said, I'm not the guy to ask about this because i you know i don't have that love of dark souls and i know a lot of people got really excited about this because they love the original and they don't think any of the sequels lived up uh so for them i'm sure this is welcome but for me i i just i was like okay well if it's a beautiful dark souls game i'll play it (laughs) and then it it, it certainly was not that the real hot take is bloodborne is the best of all of those like that's that's the truth no one really wants to admit I'm not going to disagree with you. And this is where <laughs> I will predict Bloodborne 2 announced at E3. Play the dang hype train trailer. Because you demanded it. Because you demanded it. Worth it. Uh, worth yeah, it. Yeah, worth it. We're, it's happening. We should have been playing it for weeks now. I'm really sorry. Let's we play got to actually it one more time for fun. Play it three more times. I think you're going to hear that a lot over the next two weeks. Next week will be our big E3 prediction episode, so you'll hear it then. And, and then, of course, uh, we'll do extra episodes during E3. So we'll be we'll be chug chug chugging along. But we, uh, I, it's too late this year. This is uh, I'm sorry. I apologize. I know the the uh, subreddit was going crazy at me. Like, where's the Hype train bumper. We haven't heard it. And I'm sorry. I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like, what is it like? Um, like when the McRib comes back, you know, <laughs> you got to savor it. <laughs> uh, speaking of savoring things, um, when you, <laughs> this is a terrible segue. When you savor, uh, Something you might want to tell people about it on the internet? I don't know. Squarespace is what I want to tell you about. Squarespace is a great way to make a website. You can create a beautiful website with Squarespace. I have done. I've been using Squarespace for a decade, literally a decade. Uh, 2008, I made jeffcanada.com on Squarespace. have been happily using it ever since. I recommend it to everyone because you can turn your cool idea into a new website. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish content. You can create or sell products and services of all kinds. Promote your physical or online business. Announce an upcoming event or special project. So much more. Squarespace lets you do all that stuff super easily because you start with a beautiful template created by world-class designers. And then you drag and drop. You just move stuff around. You make it what you want. You don't have to have any coding experience. You just make the site you want to make and it'll look beautiful and it'll look unique. And it'll be ready to go. They have built-in search engine optimization They have analytics that help you grow in real time. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. There's e-commerce functionality that you can just drop right in if you want to sell something. It's so simple. Nothing to ever patch or upgrade. It's all handled on the back end. They have 24-7 award-winning customer support that makes it easy in case you run into any problems. Just make it. Encourage yourself, your friends. Make it online. Make it yourself. Create a website by yourself. Make it stand out by making it beautiful. Do it with Squarespace. And guess what? We're going to help you out. Head to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me. That's squarespace.com slash J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. All one word. And use the promo code Jeff sent me when you check out. We will give you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain Boy, that's a great deal. Check it out. 
there's no reason not to. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me. Very excited to talk a little VR with you this week. Uh, I have seen a bunch of, speaking of that bumper, I've seen a lot of uh, pre-E3 stuff that I can finally talk about. Uh, but Josiah, I want to talk to you about, um, you mentioned that you have done a podcast recently with uh, one of the creators of Gunheart, which is a game I played several months ago and was really impressed with. It's basically like, you know, Destiny in VR, right? Yeah, it, it was a fun podcast to do. It'll be coming out in a couple of weeks, not to promote too much, but uh, Ray Davis, who uh, played a key role on Gears of War 1 and 2, was involved with Microsoft during the Connect era, really talented developer. The Drifter Entertainment is the name of the company and that they're making Gunheart, which does something really cool, which I think it's it, it's co-op. And co-op is hard to do in VR, right? It's hard to, to have that social aspect to it. I was talking to John Vignacchi a couple of months ago, and what he had said, the thing that made it difficult for him to get into VR was it was lacking a lot of that social element that he loves about games. And what Gunhart does, is it does have that sort of Destiny-style shooter vibe. You're teleporting like you do in VR, um, there's a certain fast pace to it, hopefully without puking based on motion sickness, but it's also very co-op heavy. It's about playing it with other people. It's about experiencing it with other people who are really into VR, but they've also recently added this feature where you can just play it on your PC without VR. So if you want to play it with your friends and maybe they'll be the ones who keep you know nagging you over and over, like you better get an Oculus or you better get a Vive or something, that's going to hopefully bring people to it. So me personally, I don't have a VR setup here. Um, but just talking to rail about it, you could tell he's passionate about it. You can tell there's still this really strong VR community who cares. And if I did have a headset, I think Gunheart would be on the top of my list because that social aspect and the fact that they have that pedigree of shooters. So yeah, I would, I would suggest anyone who does, who does have VR. I think the game's coming out early June. It's like legitimately coming out. It's just been in beta early access. So it, it looks great. Yeah, I played it in early access and it is awesome. It, they really nail that cool progress. You said you love progression systems. They have an awesome progression system where you're going on missions and earning stuff and getting better loot. It's very Destiny. Um, and the, the there's some really cool stuff with the weapons. Like you have three different, you have different loadouts and you have one weapon is literally like you cross your hands in front of you and then it forms this new weapon with your hands crossed in front of you. Like the, one of the characters that I had, uh, I crossed my hands in front of me and it turned into a mini gun. And so as long as I had my hands connected in front of me, I was using a mini gun. It was oh, so, so rad. Cool. But like I'm always, in front of you, it was awesome. I'm always looking for those moments in VR that could only happen in VR. And that sounds yeah. like one of them. The moments where you're like, oh, no other video game can do this. Speaking of no other video game can do this, uh, Christian, you tried Beat Saber, which I've been in love with so much uh in sweaty sweaty love with uh what did you think of beat saber it plays very fun it is everything that you said it was uh, you know you feel like you're air drumming in a cool way um i tried i did fairly well i think on normal and i tried some on expert uh <laughs> got a little cocky <laughs> um there's definitely challenge there if you want it i, I think and, and since then we've watched like these videos of people kind of hacking their own songs into it. And I think 
to me, that's when the game becomes a, a full-fledged recommend is when the song list is opened up and you're able to do a little more than what's in there. The 10 songs in there all seem well-tuned and well-crafted, but it, it does feel limiting uh, at this point, especially coming off of Rock Band and how that series progressed over the years, adding every song and importing and making your own and this, that, and the other. So there's that balance between well-tuned, well-crafted, you know, these are the songs and the game and the experience is flawless because we spent time tuning it for these versus there's only 10 songs in the game. And then like looking at it and its price point versus some other things, uh, Wipeout VR, which is free and is everything free if you well, own Wipeout. free if you own the game. Yeah. Right. But that's also a, a whole entire game and then you're getting this VR mode. So I think Beat Saber is, is very fun and it's everything you said it it was, but I feel like the value proposition isn't quite there for me yet in terms of would I be rushing out to buy it myself? I think once that library expands threefold or something like that, it becomes a surefire recommend. Right now, it's a you know a cautious recommend for me. Well, I know that their uh, their level editor is coming out very soon, and it's a at least on the PC, it is a trivial matter to uh, to hack it so that you can get a. a other songs in and there's a huge resource online of people that have yeah. built uh stuff for for other songs it's going to be interesting to see if and when this thing hits uh, playstation vr if that will be possible because of the closed system that is uh, the console uh i i certainly hope there will be ways to do that because i think it's um yeah. as you said no more songs is mo better and, and the, the, the act of doing it is so the, the playing is so smooth and so fun. Like I made the joke to you that I want to play, you know, the Imperial March with just stormtrooper heads floating at me or something. <laughs> um, it's it's really really satisfying. Uh, you've been playing with Wipeout VR as well. Yeah, I mean, I said this to you in passing too. Like, I think this is the year that you finally get to say, like, huh, I told you, where I think there's a good chance Wipeout VR ends up on one of my top fives at the end of the year. It's so well done, and the fact that it's the full game, and then I'm starting to get the hang of actually, you know, I'm never going to top a leaderboard in VR, I don't think, but being able to play levels faster and faster and faster in VR mode now and, and walking away from spending time under the hood, so to speak, and not feeling nauseous at all or and playing some of the zone modes. Every time I sit down to play it, it blows me away at how complete of experience it is. And if you ha have the game and haven't tried the VR mode yet, it is a must play. And if you don't have the game and have a PSVR, I think it's a must purchase. It's, it's that well done. I played a bunch of stuff uh, that will be coming out later. I played at the pre-E3 event. Um, the standout for me uh, of all the stuff I played in VR a couple of weeks ago was Astrobot's Rescue Mission. This is <laughs> when PlayStation VR was released. There was a demo disc. And on that demo disc, there was – I can't remember what it was even called. But it was the – precursor to astrobot is those little dudes they're inside your controller the sort of sony little guys and there was this like little platformer that had i don't know a level or two and you had all these cool controller functions where uh, uh you know the um tightrope would shoot out of your controller and you would attach it to the thing and then the little guy would walk across it and it, it would it's a platformer in vr all around you and it was so charming and so fun and I, like many others, came away from that experience going, man, would it be great if this was an entire game? Because it was just a, a proof of concept demo. Well, Astrobot's Rescue Mission is the entire game. 
And I have to say, it is every bit as charming as those uh, initial levels led me to believe. I'm so excited for this to come out. Uh, it's proof that platformers work really, really well in VR. It's fun to be perched in these precarious leaps with your little guy. It's fun to interact with the environment, look around the corner and see a collectible that you didn't normally, you know, just necessarily see from the vantage point that you started out in. And then, you know, getting your guy to it, looking up underneath your little guy and having, you know, to control it that way. All of those fun controller interactions are present. There's some head interactions where there'll be a big sign that's in the way of your guy and you smack it with your head and break it and stuff like that. Silly, good, fun, bright, colorful, great-looking game. I am very excited for Astrobot's Rescue Mission. I think it's going to be, you know, as charming and fun perhaps as Moss was uh, in the same sort of way, where you're in that diorama world interacting. Platformers work really well in VR, and I think this is more proof of that. I also got to play the latest build or the latest level they were showing of Blood and Truth, which is another of those initial PlayStation VR demo disc games that's being blown out into its own title. Uh, this is that London heist that they initially showed. But now uh, the level that they were showing is a really interesting take on doing a shooter in VR. Rather than supporting their own aim controller, which I wish they would, uh, this is a shooter that is meant to be played sitting down. And again, this is just one of several levels in Blood and Truth, which is going to be you know, much more like this heist game and it's got all kinds of different interactions. But the level I played was a pure shooter and it's a point-to-point -point cover shooter. You see a different a place you can go, you push a button, you kind of slide, glide there. And along the way, you can be shooting, but the your vision doesn't narrow. There's no blacking out. There's no teleporting. You're just sort of gliding from point to point and shooting. So it's very much like an old school arcade uh you know, time splitters type game. Um, and it's very much a um, shooting gallery. Not much more than that, but there's some fun uh, interactions that you can do in VR. For example, you can uh, take your gun and put it on your finger and spin it around like an old West guy by, you know, tw you know, swinging your controller. Pretty fun, pretty clever. I wasn't super wowed other than the fact that they managed to make it so that you could stay seated and still play this with the dual shock and it felt very comfortable. It was fun. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess they're still, they're supporting the uh, move. I guess I played with the moves, not the dual shock, but they, I think they're going to support the dual shock either way. No word on the, uh, the aim controller. So an interesting direction for that game. Uh, and then uh, I also played Defector, which is uh, an Oculus exclusive, I believe, at least initially. Uh, and it's going to be the James Bond game or Mission Impossible or Jason Bourne or whatever you ha have you. And it's going to use all those tropes. It's going to do them in VR. Uh, I played a level where I literally leap out of planes with a parachute, fly into another plane, shoot a bunch of dudes, scan cool tech, leap out of another plane, all the cool, like the opening sequence of a Mission Impossible movie. You know, it's all that stuff. I love it. It was cool in VR. It looked good. There were a lot of cool things. Touch your temple to like, you know, use your cool um, James Bond glasses to scan things. Uh, all of the interactions, all that cool stuff worked in, in VR. Overall, the game was a little clunky and 
the pacing was odd because of it being in VR. You weren't able to just run around the room. It felt slow. It felt a little clunky. I'm hoping this improves before the game comes out, but it's called Defector and it's promising, but I wasn't completely blown away by it. I think any VR game that makes you feel really cool, which if you feel like a spy, that's pretty awesome. That's the kind of stuff I would like. Super hot is the ultimate example of just you have that almost matrix slowing down moment. If you can make me, even if it's a little clunky, even if it's not perfect, feel like a spy, I, I'm going to sign up for that. Yeah, there was a moment where, uh, you know, you finally get to the final plane and you get this big gun and then you take the the harness of your uh, of your parachute and they you lock a strap onto it at the door of the plane and you lean out of the plane with this gun and jets are flying by and you're shooting down the jets with this gun hanging out of a plane that's flying through the air is pretty rad yeah man um, yeah yeah pretty rad all right uh that's gonna do it i do want to thank our final sponsor which is mac weldon i'm wearing my mac weldon's right now Me my too. mac you are mm-hmm. i just gave you a new big delivery of them didn't i you did the ones? you did and i have uh i brought them all with me because i knew i'm going to be somewhere where it is hot <laughs> you're in the high desert and i was like i know exactly what new underwear i'm bringing and i'm sitting in it right now very comfortably yeah they are super comfortable these are these are the under i mean i use the boxers i know you are a trunks guy trunks yeah i gotta right? keep my, my my junks in my trunks i think is yeah is, is how i think I that's it. yeah i uh i keep my uh Rockstars in my box. Or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was close. <laughs> uh, and when I am, yeah, anytime I'm in a situation where I know I'm going to be in the same pair of pants a long time, E3 is coming up. That's the perfect example. E3 is going to be exclusively Mac Weldon's for me. Why? Because they have smart design, premium fabrics, and they have antimicrobial uh, versions of their, uh, of their underpants. They have the ability to prevent my, 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 my rocks from stinking, which is very important. Very important. They're silver underwear lines. They're naturally antimicrobial. They eliminate odor and they're super comfy. I, honestly, I, before Mac Weldon, I put far too little energy and attention into the clothes that I wear most often. Every single day I'm wearing boxers. Why is it that I would just buy a big pack of them at the cheapest price possible at, you know, at a big box store? That's not how you do it. You get really good, smart design, premium fabrics, and you do it in the simplest way. You don't have to go to a big box store. You go online to MacWeldon.com and you use the promo code DLC and get 20% off your first order. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code DLC to get 20% off. These are great for working out, going to work, going out on dates, just everyday life. These are my go-to undergarments. They also sell lots of other things, uh, basics of all kinds. I got a polo shirt just recently that's really sharp. And they have uh, um, board shorts now too, which are really cool. Check it out. MacWeldon.com and the promo code DLC at checkout. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But Josiah Renaud, and thank you so much for being here. It's been so much fun having you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I, again, been a fan of your podcast for the longest time. And yeah, it's just fun to just talk about video games, all the crazy news that's been going on. It, it's been great to do this. 
Right on. Uh, tell the folks where they can keep up with you online and follow what you do. Yeah. On Twitter, I'm at Josiah Renauden. Uh, like you said earlier, Jeff, I host the 1099 podcast. I have people like Adam Sessler, a former Dragon Age creative director, Mike Laidlaw, uh, people from all over the industry, the 1099 podcast on SoundCloud, on iTunes. Um, it's, a, it's a passion project for me that I truly love. And uh, last thing is, as, as I've mentioned, I'm in LA now. I'm working for a great developer called Tangent Games. It's Tangent underscore games on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we're doing really fun stuff. It's it's a crazy, exciting, busy time for me, but uh, it, it's been really cool. So that's the promotion for me. Right on. Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, you still have time to have me buzz my head. And if you want to donate to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, you can find links at pinned on my Twitter account, which is at Spicer. If you go to my website, ChristianSpicer.com, I'm already committed to, and I will do these, all of like those rewards and challenges or whatever I will do after this campaign ends at the end of the month, <clears throat> excuse me, where I'll be eating four jars of baby food and currently dyeing my hair either pink or purple. But if we hit that 5K goal, I'm going to buzz my head. I think I said on here, if, if it ends up being 10K, I'll, I'll bick it. Um, so, you know, that's still happening. And um, we, we talked about it earlier in the show. Cancer sucks. And St. Jude helps kids fight and beat cancer. And they share all of their research around the world for free. So it's an organization that is easy to support. And if you donate through this, the, the links, 100% of it goes to St. Jude and it's tax deductible. It's not like they take 30% processing or whatever. You are donating directly to St. Jude and helping kids um, fight and beat cancer, which I think is awesome. Then the next two weeks on uh, ALTMM, I have guests on, which I'm super excited about. Um, they're they're incredible episodes are already recorded in the can and they come out uh, for patrons on Tuesday and then on the uninformed opinions podcast feed on Friday. And you can find it at patreon.com slash Christian Spicer. They're really fun episodes coming out the next two weeks of ALTMM. And then all parenting stuff is department of parenting is that podcast I do with Chris Quintos. You can find links to everything there at department of parenting.com, which is a Squarespace site. Yeah, right on. Um, I have a couple of other podcasts for you to check out as well, including the Slash Filmcast, where I talk about movies and TV shows. Uh, we just did our solo a Star Wars story review, which was a lot of fun. You should check that out over at SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, I also do a comedy science show, 20-minute episodes, very easy to listen to. Uh, you learn something and you laugh every single episode. It's We Have Concerns, and you can find it at We Have Concerns. Dot com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Josiah, do you have uh, something that can help people get through their week? Yeah, let's do two quick ones. First is the show Rectify on Netflix, which... Boy, just make sure you're, you're sitting down when this happens. Make sure it is not like, oh, I'm just going to try to watch a really cheery show. It's a very emotionally gripping show about this guy who who went to death row. And I won't spoil why for 17 years, but he's, he's let off after a, a long time and has to reintegrate into society. It's a Sundance Film Festival, four seasons. I think it's right around one of the most incredibly shot and acted shows you're going to see just some of the performances are stunning 
Uh, and it's one of the few shows where by the end, like d- beyond misty eyed, it's one of those. I'm not going to watch the ending ar- around anyone because they're going to see me just bawling like a baby. Uh, it is. I really love great TV. I'm a big Mad Men guy. Big The Wire and Rectify is right on that level with me. So if you haven't seen it, definitely watch that. Um, and last quick one is is the novel City of Thieves. It's actually written by one of the showrunners uh, of Game of Thrones, uh, David Benioff. And it is this historical fiction book, uh, coming of age story during World War II about these two, uh, these two soldiers who need to find a dozen eggs for this Soviet officer and they need to go into enemy territory to find them. And it's, it's actually an inspiration for, uh, The Last of Us. Naughty Dog had mentioned it's a book that they had really looked at when they're making that game. It's, it's, it's a really great read. It's, it's really just, uh, the fantastic dialogue, great characters and, uh, I'm a big audiobook person. There's an audiobook out there, and it's 1,000% worth getting. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's uh, City of Thieves, the novel, and even more than that, Rectify on Netflix. Excellent. Very, very cool. I'm going to check out City of Thieves. That sounds rad. Christian, how about you? What's your parting gift? Black Panther, the comics. The movie's great. Great in Avengers, Infinity War. Um, they renumbered it starting number one a new number one came out on may 23rd it's still from coates the writer of the last and still kind of maybe current run of black panther which is absolutely incredible so very well written um if you haven't read those you can go back and and read those around marvel unlimited or the trades or go to your local comic book shop and pick them up but this current this new black panther I think there's a lot of mystery happening. So I'd, there's mystery in the issue. So I don't want to talk too much about it, but I will just say Black Panther in space in a, in a cool way, not a in space way, like a, like a, a very, <laughs> that is pretty cool. That is also pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, but in a, in a very interesting way. And, and right now, just after issue one, there are a lot of questions, more questions than answers. But if the prior run, which is maybe still the current run. I don't, I don't know. Um, but if, if the prior work on Black Panther is any indication, all those questions are going to get paid off in a very satisfying way. So if you're looking for a place to jump in, this is a great one. And, and they're handling some of the characters, um, some characters that were maybe not featured in the comics well, but were featured in the movie very well. This is giving them an opportunity to shine also. So it's a, it's a super easy book to recommend for fans of the MCU version of Black Panther. And if you've avoided the book for some reason for a while, this is a great jumping in point. It's Black Panther. The new issue number one came out just this past week, I believe on the 23rd. Awesome. We did get a listener suggested parting gift, which you can do if you've got some suggestion you'd like to share with the community Email us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can also email any comments or questions you have about the show or with us, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This one comes from Kerry in New Zealand. He says, I want to recommend a documentary style podcast called Business Wars that explains famous conflicts between businesses. Their current six part series is about Nintendo versus Sony and makes for a very interesting listen. Previously, they've done Marvel versus DC and Nike versus Adidas. It's business wars. He says they go into great depth and it's very well produced. Highly recommended. Thank you, Carrie. That sounds like something I would eat up. So I'm going to check out business wars. My parting gift is I, I don't think I've mentioned this before, but even if I have, it's worth re-mentioning. The stand-up comedy of Ali Wong. She just came out with her second Netflix comedy special. I loved her first baby Cobra. My wife and I watched that in the hospital as we awaited 
the labor process for our first child. And uh, notably, baby Cobra is Ali Wong fully pregnant, like full on pregnant. Uh, and uh, so it was very apropos talking about what it's like being pregnant. Her second special uh, just came out. It's called A Hard Knock Wife. And she's also pregnant in that one, although the special isn't about the pregnancy so much as it is about what it was like giving birth to the first child and raising the first child. And uh, my goodness, if you have children or are thinking about having children, you should listen to this. It is uh, jarring and shocking and hilarious and so spot on about what it's like becoming a parent. Uh, She pulls no punches and is really funny and smart and witty about it. Ali Wong, a hard knock wife is on Netflix. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Josiah Renaudin, Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room for hanging out with us in real time. And over there on caffeine.tv slash Jeff Kanata for giving me some gold. I think you guys dropped me some gold. There's new new feature on there to drop gold, which I'm certainly grateful for. That's uh, their new monetization feature, which is awesome. Um, thanks to all of you who download the show. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L, Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. Hey, we'll be back next week with that train rolling into E3. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.